Welcome to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. The next couple of months are going to be really tough for restaurants. This hour, we ask local chefs and restaurant owners how the pandemic has affected their work and what they need right now. Don't worry, they tell us what they're hopeful about as well. And they're throwing lots of love and appreciation to their staff and, of course, the customers. Before we talk to our featured chefs, or they talk to you, really, we wanted to hear from two people invested in the survival of local restaurants. David Lehman is the state's commissioner of economic and community development, and Scott Dolch is the head of the Connecticut Restaurant Association, the CRA. They get us up to speed on the Connecticut Business Recovery Grant that hit the bank accounts of 2,000 small businesses this week. Welcome to both of you, gentlemen. Great to be here. Thanks, Marisol. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Commissioner, of course, you know, there's so much going on with small businesses in our state, specifically restaurants. Um, And I wonder, Commissioner, if you couldn't give us a quick explainer about what the recent business recovery grants are and how they're being rolled out to restaurant owners. And bear in mind, we have people that are not necessarily in the restaurant industry that are listening, but we certainly have the, the ears of folks that are working in the restaurant industry. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, one of the initiatives that the Lamont administration has has uh, done to try to help in the in the tough economic times is what you referenced called the Business Recovery Grant, the Connecticut Business Recovery Grant. And this was a $35 million program uh, for grants to our hardest hit small businesses in the state. The governor announced it in the middle of December, uh, and the checks were sent out to roughly uh, 2,000, just over 2,000 businesses this past Friday, uh, January 8th. So very, very quick turnaround. This program provided grants between ten dollars and $30,000 to small businesses, and approximately 60% of the recipients were in the restaurant and uh, hospitality industries. The rest were in uh, retail trade, for example, personal services like uh, hair salons, barbershops, and the like, as well as gyms and other industries. How did people get on the list to be selected for that grant? Like, how was that to even... Yeah, so we, we, unlike some of the other programs, we knew time was really important. And I'm sure we'll talk more about PPP, but the governor really wanted to get checks in the hands of small businesses in need really quickly in, in early January. So, Chef, to your, to your question, we, we utilize existing Department of Revenue service data, um, and we, we started with hard-hit industries by NAICS code. So we looked at re, you know, restaurants, retail, uh, et cetera, and other NAICS codes uh, that, that really had a, a tough time in 2020. And then uh, to be eligible, to be counted, your revenues needed to be down at least 25% year over year, 2020 versus 2019. And of the 2,000 businesses that received the grant here, their revenues were down actually almost 50% year over year. So we really wanted to focus on these hard-hit businesses, but we utilized data that the state already had um, to save the time and not have an application process. I wonder, Commissioner, when the pandemic hit, and citizens across the country, but, but for the purpose of this, people in Connecticut, everyone was sort of waiting for the federal response. And some may argue that that federal response did not come as quickly as some might have wanted to. I wonder what your role was on behalf of the state of Connecticut um, as you look back now, because we're about to approach the one-year mark. Are you satisfied with the state's response as it pertained to the, dis- the distribution of monies for small businesses, specifically restaurants? Yeah, I think overall, when we look at the data in terms of the amount of money that um, the state put forth, whether it's grant money or the loan program that we utilized uh, back in the April-May time period, you know, I, th- I think we are, um, you know, again, it's tough to say satisfied given the contraction in the economy, but I feel like the, the state response was, was very strong and appropriate um, in the context of what's been a, a downturn in the economy that we just, we've never seen before. The federal response in, in April and May, especially the PPP and EIDL dollars was significant. 
And now we're going to see, uh, in my opinion, between three and three and a half billion dollars of additional PPP coming into Connecticut with this new federal response. And our, our focus is quickly turning on making sure that we help businesses access those federal dollars, because the reality is the federal government has the financial wherewithal that states just don't have. And we want to make sure that Connecticut businesses continue to do well uh, accessing that. The first round of PPP, Marisol, uh, Connecticut businesses were in the top quartile per capita of accessing those federal dollars. And we want to make sure that happens again. Scott, I wanted to ask you, because you've been so, I mean, you really have been boots on the ground, speaking to restaurants, speaking to you know people in the industry, caterers, just taking the time every day to talk to somebody. Have you seen how this grant has helped? Have you felt that already just from talking to people? I actually got a text about three minutes ago that someone saw the check because the email when they found out they got the grant didn't have the cash amount. So they just found out they got a $30,000 check. And they're just like, you know, thanking me, but but really to the commissioner and to the governor's point, I mean, it, it, it is the state's program and, you know, knowing that they're helping 2000 businesses and it's not going to help, unfortunately, everybody, but, you know, because there's just so many businesses that have been hit hard. And I think, you know, 50% and above, as the commissioner just mentioned, that was my biggest goal in this, in this whole push of trying to get a program beyond, you know, the original $50 million program. So, I'm, I'm appreciative of, of, I think the commissioner and I talk more than we probably talk to our wives as we joke about um, every single day about, about trying to help this industry. And he's been a champion of that. So I, I do want to give him a little bit of credit too of, of how they figure this out quickly with the DRS. And, you know, it's not perfect. People are like, why can't I apply? Why couldn't I apply? But like, it, it's about getting them money as quick as they can. The 2000 hardest hit businesses in their eyes through DRS, getting them significant dollars that are going to be the bridge because PPP right now, the application process just opened up. We're trying to now be that support to say, go after, you know, the PPP a second round. There's a lot of really good in the federal bill for restaurants and caterers. But this grant's definitely going to help be that bridge until, until those dollars really start to come in. And hopefully, this is the darkest time right now. January, February is so tough for our industry. In normal times, it's really, really hard as I see reservation numbers this weekend and how down it is. That's the ultimate goal right now is to get us to the spring, hope the vaccines take root and we start to get outdoor dining back and, and events back to where we were, you know, in phase three. And I think there's a chance, there's a better chance for recovery. Um, unlike maybe some other states around us, we've done a pretty good job of get, uh, hopefully getting there. Scott, you mentioned that, you know, we're, we're trying to get through the winter. I can tell you from personal experience, I'm in Fairfield County and I bundled up, I put a blanket, I sat outside. There was only one other table sitting outside and I did it in part because I didn't want to cook, but also because I wanted to support my local business. Where do you see, is there a specific area in our state that you see uh, the restaurants are really suffering? There's so many areas. I mean, every call I take, you know, I really try to listen to the restaurateur and owner for five or 10 minutes to hear their last, you know, almost year, 10 months of what they've gone through and where they are. But I mean, the city specifically, you know, Hartford, New Haven, Bridgeport, areas where businesses, even downtown Stanford, where businesses is a huge driver of their restaurant, you know, or even events. You know, you talk about Hartford, as I was down talking with Mayor Bronin last week, you know, when you don't have the XL Center really open, you don't have Hartford stage, no events. You also, Travelers, the Hartford, Aetna, no one's down there. It's a ghost town. And it's been that way for 10 months. And that's the driver of their revenue. You know, and then to have people drive down. I mean, New Haven's a little bit better. People will go into the city to eat. Hartford's really been driven. It's, it's people go go out to the suburbs to eat normally or live out there. And, and I feel like that's what I feel for. And I think this grant program specifically has been targeted to those businesses that are down 70, 80 percent, these restaurants that have been hit so hard. So I do you know, want to make sure we figure out a way that this money and the PPP is going to help them keep their doors open 
And then we also have to be creative into the spring and summer because they don't have expanded outdoor dining. Our business is going to come back. What does that look like? You know, in 2021, we can't stop, I guess, the fight of making sure we help these businesses make it. This is, uh, you're going to hear sound from Chris Torla. He is a partner at the Max Restaurant Group and the executive chef of the Trumbull Kitchen in Hartford, which has closed temporarily. Uh, you know, we took what we could get from the federal early on uh, last year, and that helped us get through, but it only lasted so long. And then come December, you know, my partners and I realized that we just couldn't do it, and there was nothing coming from the state. Uh, and they're still talking about it, but talk, frank, quite frankly, is cheap, right? And uh, until they deliver, there's going to be more restaurants uh, pulling out of the city. I heard of two others, actually, that are, there's some talk, they're moving out of Hartford. You know, and I think you're going to continue to see that attrition of businesses in general, not just restaurant industry, but businesses in general. I have friends in, in other businesses, barbershops, small shops and retail and things of that nature that are they're, they're in a pickle. And, and it's hard to come by, nearly impossible to come by the assistance that you need. And I think they need to step it up and figure it out and make it happen. Commissioner, what's your reaction to that? Not, not knowing exactly when that was actually taped, but uh, um, we did execute on this $35 million program, uh, you know, addressing the needs, especially as Scott mentioned, uh, of small businesses in places like Hartford that have been hardest hit. You just don't have the foot traffic without the offices being filled up. And, you know, cities are important ecosystems to the economy uh, of the state, um, and, and they are going to come back. They will come back. And we need to make sure that Chris and places like Trumbull Kitchen are able to reopen this spring, this summer. I think we, we are in the tail end of this pandemic. Pandemic. Vaccines are going into arms right now. So part of this program, as was referenced before, the grants are bridged to the next phase of PPP. And we're going to keep watching this. Ultimately, uh, we want to make sure businesses can remain open and, and we think they can be open safely. But at the same time, we know they need the financial assistance. So it's a two-pronged approach that we've had. Uh, but we're going to make sure that restaurants like Trumbull Kitchen and others uh, are able to reopen and that cities like Hartford, I have no doubt, will come back and come back stronger. By the way, we're told that, that uh, we recorded that with, with Chris Torla last week. So if that gives you any frame of reference. Commissioner, I, I want to ask you, and Scott, I, you, know, you can chime in here as well. Being a business owner and a chef is a very difficult thing to do. Uh, most of us chefs, I'm, I speak for myself, I mean, I, I am terrible at filling out forms and figuring out how to do things like get grants and get loans and all that stuff. Is that something that they can reach out to you guys to help or commissioner in your office can help restaurants figure that out? And Scott, if a restaurant isn't part of the restaurant association, but maybe they'd like to be, can they still get help from you? Yeah, so I'll just take the first part of that. So, um, you know, there, there are lots of agencies around the state that can help small businesses. You know, Connecticut Small Business Development Center in particular, as it relates to some of the federal support that's out there, it is very helpful. And we direct folks to, uh, to this SBDC. And on the DCD website, there's a list of other resources um, from an advisory perspective, Chef, that can be helpful to businesses. But that's just one of the reasons why we, we didn't want to have a long application process here. We basically utilize data that businesses already send to the state as it relates to their sales tax and gross receipts and utilize that to get the checks to them within a three-week period. Yeah, and from a CRA side, Chef, there, it's not about membership. It's never been since this pandemic hit. It's about survival for this industry. And every restaurant, it doesn't matter, you member or not, you've never been a member. Uh, the resources we try to provide, the webinars, Instagram Live, our, our website's pretty robust. Uh, we do emails almost on a daily basis now, providing answers to questions that we can. Questions that some of our restaurants have that, you know, maybe they knew it, didn't do it the first time, but, you know, or they're doing it the second time or, you know, making sure that, that they're working with their bank. So we're, we're trying to be that resource as much as we can to help every, every, every restaurant understand or cater or whatever else. 
we try to be that resource in real time as much as we can. I also think that the big overarching issue, I think when the pandemic hit and states were struggling to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to disperse money? What does that look like? And the immediate response was, we're going to disperse loans, right? And now we're looking at grants. I don't own a business, but I can tell you, I I prefer a grant over a loan. And I know that some of these small business owners and restaurateurs are saying, is there any potential for there to be some sort of forgiveness in in, in paying back this loan? Well, so I just want to be clear, the, the recent programs that we've done, the 85 million uh, last two programs have been grants, uh, and we don't expect repayment. And, and those proceeds are to help with things like uh, payroll, utilities, uh, any expenses around um, the Connecticut reopening protocols. So the one program we did uh, earlier in the spring was a $50 million, very short-term loan program. You know, that, that one will need to be repaid, but there was zero interest, zero fees. That was basically a short-term money when some of these new federal programs were coming out. But we understand going forward, you know, from the federal government and what the state's doing, the importance of, of, of not additional debt, because really what we need is to, to buy some time to get to when restaurants can fully reopen and other businesses can fully reopen. You know, just kind of taking things a little bit of a different direction here, Montessor, I've had this question forever and it's a little self-serving, but I know that we've heard rumors and talking of food workers being in that 1B category coming up for vaccination. Has there been any movement on that? Any more discussions on that? So I'm happy to jump in. And then Scott has, and I have had a couple of conversations on this. Um, you know, the, the 1B, broadly, the 1B conversation, Chef, those are happening now. And we expect a lot more information to be rolled out, obviously. 1A, uh, the governor said we expect to happen through the end of this month. But very quickly, 1B is going to be a very large phase. Um, and and we're, we're trying to finalize that frontline worker who is really interacting with uh, folks outside of their household, you know, where they are in that process and making sure that they're um, you know, getting the vaccine as quickly as possible. Commissioner is exactly right. We talk about it on a daily basis. I know we sent a letter from the CRA uh, to the governor directly and to the two heads of the advisory council, which is the acting commissioner of DPH and Deidre Gifford and also uh, Reginald Eddy from, from Trinity Health asking for 1B for our industry. You know, you can't you can't telecommute in the restaurant industry. If you have to work, you have to go in and work. So, um, and also the CDC, the, on, a, on the national level, the CDC is recommending that we should be in 1B. So there was a slide last week that said, food slash grocery um, with really no definition beyond that, but we're hopeful that food defines our industry fully. Um, and I know the advisory group to the commissioner's point is hoping to make some, some final decisions and recommendations that they'll give to the governor this week. And, and then, then if we are in that, which I hope we are, then it's logistics, you know, and how as a CRA, how can we help logistically if it's 800,000 people in that larger 1B group, you know, our, our makeup is about 160,000 employees. How do we help make sure people know where they go? You know, it's a free vaccine. If you're not ins- whatever, not insured, whatever else is out there, we want to also, you know, be a resource as a CRA to help that process because we know the quicker we get everybody vaccinated, the quicker our industry gets back on its feet. So, We also wanted to um, just take this opportunity because, as we mentioned earlier, uh, this is our check-in. We've, we've spoken to uh, folks in the restaurant industry since the beginning, and we're kind of circling back to see where they are. And one in particular is Franco Camacho of Camacho Garage in New Haven. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind listening to this to this audio. I would say that um, uh, restaurant workers are also um, second in line of um, first response responders. We provide the food and and to all this from the line that the ones that are in the trenches, but we we right behind them. And we need the support, economic help to keep doing what what we need to do to maintain everyone healthy and 
food to their homes and, and something that keep us all together through these times. I think that the acknowledgement of what the industry does, a restaurant is, is a community, it's not just a restaurant. It keeps people in the community informed, going. I would say that, um, they're not to take what restaurants do for granted. We there uh, every day trying to make uh, someone happy with a good, hot, nutritious meal. Commissioner, short of looking into your crystal ball, <laughs> what uh, what do you have to say to to uh, Chef Camacho and other restaurant owners and people in the industry as as things unfold in the next couple of months? Yeah, listen, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, re- restaurants are the very heart of our community. I mean, that that is, you know, think about a main street, whether it's a small town or a big town, without a restaurant. I mean, that's not a main street in my mind. So. Restaurants are so crucial. Scott referenced how significant they are in terms of an employer uh, in the state and roughly 150 or 160,000 people. So we need to make sure our restaurants survive, just like we need to make sure our communities get through this. Um, I would just say two, two more things. One, I, I do think with the vaccines happening, the rollout, um, you know, you are going to see an improvement in numbers as we get towards the spring and certainly in the spring. Uh, and, and I hope that happens sooner rather than later. But Connecticut has been a leader so far in vaccine disbursement. And then, you know, to, to the the point came up before, I think you mentioned you were, you were out over the weekend. I, I was out three times over the weekend uh, in Fairfield County as well, eating. And yeah, it was the, the restaurants were not as crowded as I think they should be, but I'm certainly comfortable going out, eating indoors and supporting our local restaurants. I think it's really important that um, folks that feel comfortable, that they go out and they support their restaurants, whether that's eating there or if they feel more comfortable doing takeout, but we can't stress that enough. We, we're in the final stretch here. We need to make sure that we're helping our small businesses as much as possible over the next two to three months. Scott, we have to talk about this article that came out. It was at the Hartford Current and... Um... I don't even know how to address it or what to say about it, about COVID clusters. Can you just talk about that a little bit and kind of where you guys are at on that? Listen, Chef, unfortunately, as you know, our business is driven by consumer confidence, um, 100%. And it's been that way for 10 months and anything uh, positive, you know, rolling forward, moving to phase three or rolling backwards, it affects people's um, viewpoints of our industry. So it, it was definitely um, very disturbing to see the release in the in the article in the current last week and you know, talking about clusters. And, and I think that it just had, you know, my response to it is, you know, and, and I know even uh, the public health side of the governor's administration has even responded to me directly that it was incomplete and, and how it was handled. And in, in my, my view could have been done a little bit differently. And, and because how the public and the media take it, you know, just, just to give a perfect example, they, they shared 84 clusters over a six month span in our neighboring state of Massachusetts shared 35,000 clusters in the month of December with only 75 being restaurants and our 21 versus 84 um, just shows it was just such a small, really snapshot of what really was going on. And I know that's partly a little bit on the data and what they had and, and contact tracing in our state. Um, but you know, my biggest concern is, is giving false information to the media and even to the public um, that's targeting our industry. You know, when we've been, we've been safe, we work harder than any other industry in, in sanitation and safety. No other industry has public health go through their restaurant four times a year um, and, and serve safe trainings and everything else. And you've seen that. And the other side of this too is, as the commissioner knows, we opened indoor dining on June 17th. We've been at 50% um, indoor dining capacity since that point. I'm really like no other state. I give the governor and the commissioner credit that we haven't rolled back beyond that number. But we were open for four and a half months with less than 1% positivity rate. 
um, throughout that time. So I, I don't believe our industry is, but should be a target that we are, we are, you know, causing any, any kind of spread in the cluster report. And so, you know, it, it is tough to talk about, but I think, you know, my biggest thing as I share with the DPH every day is let's just get facts. If we are a problem, I'd love to have that conversation, but it, we haven't seen it on a national or any other state level that we are causing this. And uh, we're actually going above and beyond to keep people safe. So I hope our listeners, you know, that you have are listening in and know that it is a safe uh, environment to the commissioner's point. He went out three times this past weekend, you know, with his family to eat out um, and feels comfortable doing that, which which is great. We appreciate his support. We're going to wind down in just a little bit, but I, I wonder if both of you would consider this question. I think COVID and the pandemic has exposed uh, ways in which every industry needs to evolve from education to social justice to small businesses and the like. Have you individually taken a look at the restaurant industry and where there are holes and how it needs to evolve so that there aren't small mom and pop shops feeling like I can't pay rent, I can't get the necessary supplies, I can't pay my my employees? What has this pandemic exposed about the restaurant industry that you hope to see change for the better? Well, a couple of things. One, you know, I do think it's important to point out restaurant workers and other workers in small businesses, especially where there, there isn't a cushion and, and a pandemic or something that can upset demand and upset the business, really the importance of the paid family and medical leave. And that was something that Lamont had uh, really pushed to, to pass in 2019. And uh, certainly it's going into effect here. Uh, I, I really think that's important that there is that type of safety net and the fact that the all workers need, um, you know, solid healthcare and the ability to have that, that paid family and medical leave. I do think that's really important. I think the pandemic has shown that. You know, I think what gets challenging beyond that, Marisol, is you know, in a free market, restaurants, for example, it's a very competitive business with very tight margins. So I'd love to say, well, they could build a more reserve, but the reality is the market's going to dictate. Um, I, I do think you're going to tr- you're going to see hopefully a bit more resiliency as we plan for the next you know disruption. But for sure, it's going to look different than this past one. Um, and and we'll be working with Scott and the legislature and others on are, are there other policy changes that we should put forward to help provide that. Uh, but then the question is going to be to do that hopefully at a minimal cost because everyone's very very cost sensitive. So it's a complex issue. But I think on the healthcare front, the Medicaid family medical leave front, that that very very clearly is important. Yeah. And, and from my side, Marisol, I mean, this has been a whirlwind 10 months for me and, and not coming from the industry as a whole and my background, like I've learned so much more than I ever thought. And there's so much more to go. And, and that's for us as an association being that resource. I think one of the things you guys talked about earlier was they are the lifeblood. Restaurants are lifeblood. Everyone knows one in three Americans worked in a restaurant at one point in their lives. Everyone goes back, thinks about their community restaurant, what it means to them, even maybe their hometown or what it is now. Um, we are unique in Connecticut. You know, about 70% of our full service restaurants are independent. You're not like you're down in the South where you see chains and franchises, excuse me, everywhere. And we hope that we don't want to lose sight of that in Connecticut. And that's why I've been fighting so hard to help the mom and pops that give me a call and say, I've never applied for a grant. I don't even, I don't even know what to do. How do I help with that? So we want to make sure we're continuing to do that from an employee side and the unifying of our industry. I think the CRA has tried to take that on. But there's a lot more to go. But I mean, like we launched an employee relief fund you know, a month into this pandemic, thinking we'd hopefully raise a couple thousand dollars. We just hit $160,000. We've given out 250 to $500 grants specifically to employees that have been hit so hard through this. We're trying to grow that program. You know, I think mental health is a really big challenge right now in our, in, throughout our, our country. Um, and it's something that we need to continue to talk about um, and how we help get that out in the open. There's, there's just a lot of elements 
Marisol, to your question that I think, you know, we continue to take a step back and look at our industry as a whole and how we can become better, how we can make, you know, our industry uh, recover. I mean, selfishly, I want us to recover in Connecticut the best in any other state in the country. I want our industry to, to thrive in years to come. And, and we have a lot of work on our plate as an association to continue to do that as we move forward. Everyone's paranoid we're going to shut down again. And obviously, we can't look, we, we don't know what's going to happen in the week. But is there plans to shut everything down again? That's the most direct way I can ask that. And I've been asked several times. Well, let, let me give you a direct answer. No. And we listen, as Scott mentioned, you know, the governor Lamont's been very focused on providing as much certainty as we can, unlike other states that have, you know, recently scaled back reopening guidelines or increased restrictions. We've not done that. We're going to keep looking at hospitalizations and the level of virus and transmission in the state. So, you know, if listen, if I could predict the future, I wouldn't be here today and wouldn't be doing this job. But based on everything we see right now, there, there are no plans to shut down again. And we're hopeful that we're going to see the virus dissipate um, as, as more people get vaccinated. But we need to make sure that happens quickly here in, in January, February, and March. That was David Lehman, the state's Commissioner of Economic and Community Development, as well as Scott Dolch, the head of the Connecticut Restaurant Association. Later in the hour, chefs are experiencing the impacts of the pandemic differently. Some are actually hiring right now. And coming up after the break, a familiar voice. Chef Chris Prosperi of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury kicks off our series of check-ins with local chefs. I've learned that we can get through anything if we stick together. I'm Marisol Castro. I'm Chef Plum. You're listening to Seasoned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Today, we're focusing on restaurants by checking in with chefs across the state. We wanted to give them the opportunity to speak directly to you, to describe what the last year has been like. We asked all the chefs the same questions, and we'll share some of their answers. We asked how the pandemic has impacted their restaurants, what's been the hardest, and what they've learned. We also asked what worries them most right now. Let's start with a familiar voice to CT Public listeners. Hi, I'm Chris Prosperi. I'm the chef and co-owner of Metro Beast in Simsbury, Connecticut. And the impact of COVID on my business and my life has been absolutely insane. I look at it like a out of control roller coaster. Sometimes you're plummeting down and sometimes you're slowly working back up. And then the next minute you're plummeting down again. Oh my God, the hardest part of this by far was in the beginning when we were told the day before that we were being closed that, you know, it, it was that quick. You had 24 hours and we were allowed to do takeout, but my restaurant's not takeout. So I had to, we had, Courtney and I had to come up with a plan and the plan, a lot of it had to do with what are we going to do with our staff? We can't afford to pay them. It, my staff is my family. They're my people. I mean, a lot of them have been with me for over 20 years and we had to go through that whole process. And I don't know if you remember the unemployment thing in the beginning was so hard and we helped them get on that. We I gave them food every week and just broke our hearts to, you know, that everything we were going through. Yeah, that by far, we've not encountered anything since that that was as hard as that moment. What have I learned? I've learned that we can get through anything if we stick together. And that is the truth, you know? I remember the first day uh, 
we were closed, my partner Courtney grabbed some string lights and in the front porch, we rode out in string lights, love over fear. And we lit that every day and every night. And it just showed like to people and, and the reaction we got and the support we got, I mean, it just shows you the best of humanity. I think we're gonna do, you know what? We're gonna continue our outreach program. We've been feeding the hungry since this started. In the beginning, we started feeding the first responders and then we started feeding the hungry, the people that are food insecure. And even in a town like Simsbury, when we heard there were you know, 85 to 100 families picking up at the shelter, at the food pantry every Tuesday, and we did 140 meals one day for them and they were gone in the first half of the day. So, I mean, that's something we're going to continue. We've always done that, but I think now more than ever, it's important for all of us to think about that. And if you know somebody that needs a little help, make a pot of soup, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Make a pot of soup for your neighbors. So yeah, that's something I'm going to, we're going to definitely focus on more from now on. What worries me? Oh my gosh, that so many businesses aren't going to make it. And that's the livelihoods of so many people, right? Not just people in my industry, the people that support our industry and all small business. There's a lot of places, over 600 restaurants have closed permanently already. And and then, you know, and everyone's saying that's the tip of the iceberg. That just, it makes my heart, you know, just go. It, yeah, I think that's my biggest worry. But a lot of my brothers and sisters in this industry are not going to make it. And yeah, I just hope, you know, let the, I hope they reach out and, you know, and they can get a hand to get them back up on their feet once this is all over. One important question we asked our featured chefs, what do you need right now? Some chefs need cash, some need staff, but we bet lots of them need what our friend Chris suggests. A cocktail. <laughs> no, no. You know what? No, we're doing, we're doing okay. You know, I think we need people to keep doing the right thing. You know, I've been telling people restaurants are safe, people are not. So if you're going to dine out and you're going to dine out inside, you're going to dine out outside an igloo, wherever you're going to do it, remember to dine out with the people you're quarantined, your pod. Right. Because if you start opening that up and having lunch with your girlfriends, dinner with your golf buddies, you know, that kind of stuff. That's how we're going to spread this even more, because if you're sitting right next to somebody or directly across from somewhere, that's how this thing is spreading. And restaurants aren't the problem. It's who you're eating with is the problem. So, yes, if what do I need? I need everyone to be safe. We also wanted to give chefs an opportunity to tell you what surprised them about this year what they're super proud of, and what they're hopeful about. Oh my gosh, I do a dance every morning that the vaccine is coming. And I have my parents who are over 80 that, you know, they're calling and texting me going, we're first. So, you know, they're going to be on a plane heading somewhere before I even get my shot. But yes, I think that's the sign, right? When you hear people that are in their 80s, like, as soon as we get the vaccine, we're out of here. We're going crap, you know? And I think that just shows you this pent up, like, we, we got to go out. So that's what I'm, I'm hopeful that ever, as soon as people get the vaccine, we get back to some normalcy in then 2021 just, yeah, we see this this climb when we start doing better again. I'm definitely proudest of my 
staff and my team coming in on their days off and helping put the food together for those people in need. I mean, that, you know, in the beginning, feeding that, feeding the doctors and the nurses at the hospital, you know, feeding the, the EMTs in Simsbury, the police departments, my staff just doing that and just like, yeah, whatever you need. That's what I'm definitely most proud. What am I most surprised of? I guess I shouldn't be, but I was a little that the support we get. I mean, we are getting so much support from so many people. Customers just sending us checks, you know, saying with little notes, we miss you. Tell Elaine, you know, we can't wait to, that's one of our servers. We can't wait to see her again. And here's a little money just so, you know, we're thinking of you and you're like, oh my God, you start crying, right? Because you can't believe that this couple that has been dining with you for 20 years, you know, that hasn't been in in almost, what, nine months now. That's the second time they sent us a check. And, and couples that are like, we can't come in, you know, but we're going to get takeout once a week from you. And that kind of support. Again, I shouldn't be surprised because just like my staff, the customers become part of your family too. That was Chef Chris Prosperi of Metro Beast in Simsbury. You may have seen our next guest on Food Network's Chopped. You've definitely seen her if you live in Middletown and you love a good grilled cheese. I'm Jillian Miskaitis. I am the chef owner of Waystationery in Middletown. The impact of COVID-19 on my work, uh, the first word that comes to mind is devastating, (laughs) to be honest. I think we are a very small restaurant. Um, We just completed our first year last February. So that first year is just difficult. It's kind of crushing. And to get into the second year and have that momentum start to build, you're doing okay with takeout, but it just, it was kind of slowly going down as it tends to. And uh, we're just not in a great location for takeout. I think some restaurants fare better than others. There's a lot of construction on Main Street, Middletown that they decide to do right now as well. <laughs> so if you've driven through there at like four or five o'clock, no one's coming to get dinner. <laughs> um, so it's just, it definitely was a little, made it more difficult. So I think having it just finished that first year and then being closed for a majority of that middle part of our second year, we, we held off. We were trying to um, be patient. The hardest part for me actually was being patient as an entrepreneur. We kind of want to hit the ground running and just move forward, right? So to have to be patient and figure out that timing is challenging, to say the least, um, when all you want to do is just open back up, but thinking about, you know, can I make payroll? You know, do I want to spend that money to reinvest, not knowing what's going to happen next week? So like, you know, the $5,000 grant is wonderful. Not trying to downplay that, but for most places whose rent (laughs) for one month exceeds that. I mean, we're really blessed. Our rent is not, but again, our place is small definitely has its challenges on its own. Like I can't do outdoor dining. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like there's just not a space for it. The sidewalk is small. We have a bus stop out front. It's a firehouse across the street. There's just no place for me to do these options. So I think loans are not what we need. Grants are always helpful. And like people keep saying to buy gift cards. And I I understand the heart and the spirit of that. But to me, that's just going to be stealing sales from later when we're going to need that as well then. So I think that, you know, ordering takeout, is great. Order it directly if you can, because Grubhub does take a huge percentage. They all do. And we're also kind of left to the will of the drivers. <laughs> and so you know, not to downplay them, there are some wonderful Grubhub drivers. And then there are some that take half an order or there are some that don't come <laughs> and then we get a bad review. So it's just, it's definitely um, a balancing act of, you know, being grateful that we have that option, but at the same time, there is like downside to it. I've learned from this probably is how little control we have. Um, we spent 10 years working on the food truck to build our business. 
felt like we were always kind of in control. And then in the last year, I have realized that it can all be shut down without us having any say in it. And there was no income for us. I mean, we have six young kids, seventh on the way. And <laughs> um, just announced actually that last night on Chopped. So that was a great pregnancy announcement. <laughs> it's a really fun way to do it. We've tried just about every way with six kids, but to have seventh be like on national television was kind of awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, just that feeling of loss of control is, is tough. Many chefs we talked to found ways to give back to their communities during this time, even though they themselves were struggling. Through the first couple of weeks of everything being shut down, we've done Fork It Forward, which is a program people can come in and have a meal for free. They were able to sit down have a full meal. And it was either done through people donating um, money, but they can add on $15 towards that meal. And $15 is what it costs for one person for their full meal. And we actually include a tip in that because I didn't want my wait staff to feel like they were having to volunteer as well. And I also felt like it gives dignity to the person that's coming in to eat that they know that that waitress is going to be covered as well. I like it was a really neat way to do it, um, be respectful of our staff and respectful of those who are coming in. Um, so we've always fed at Thanksgiving and had that program, but through the first weeks of everything being shut down from the pandemic, we actually fed 70 people Saturday and 70 on Sunday. <laughs> we were like, wow, there is a huge need. So we've been feeding people every Sunday. Um, we rely on donations, um, and you know, that comes in when it needs to be there. And that's, we've had a lot of faith through that and, um, it, it's always there when we need it. And just trying to, I've had people cry because they're getting a warm meal, literally bawling just to have hot food. And, and I think that those people are overlooked so much. And I'm just grateful to be able to, to have a place to, to feed people out of and to serve them. That was Chef Jillian Muscaitis of Way Stationery in Middletown. Our next guest gave away thousands of pizza kits and 200 meals to her community, where she's famous for an Albanian dish called Berek. My name is Valdete Girjai. I am the chef and the owner of Nana's Birek in Waterford, Connecticut. So the impact of coronavirus pandemic on my work has been just kind of like not knowing what is to come on a daily basis. Some days I would be busy, crazy, and then some days there's pretty much nothing. <laughs> I Every day I believe in myself that I just keep thinking and telling myself that hope is greater than fear and just get up, don't give up and move forward no matter what the circumstances are out there. What worries me right now is just like how long this is going to last, what's to come next because it's really hard to plan and are we going to make it through next month or that's really what sometimes I find myself to like okay, we'll make it this month. What's going to happen next month? Biggest hit, which I was surprised, I make like a birak pie, which is a little bit different from uh, everything I have in the menu. Birak was kind of big hit. I had customers order from all around Connecticut, outside of the Connecticut, and they're curious what it is. They love it. They enjoy it. So that was kind of the biggest hit through it. And the pizza kits. My little chefs just enjoyed making those. Giving back to the community through pandemics, that was my biggest proud moment and just thankful for my family to help me and my team. I did 100 plus um, sandwiches to our healthcare heroes, our local hospitals. And for Christmas, I did 100 meals I donated to New London Community Meal Center. So that's been the biggest joy that I'm proud to say I was able to do. 
I'm really hopeful that is going to get better. Every day I have to tell myself we're halfway through. This way, I don't think how long we've been in it. To be honest with you, like I'm sure probably everybody else is in the same boat. We're trying to stay afloat on circumstances that it's hard to, you know? It is, I have put like all my heart and soul. And even though it's been three years to be where I am, because I call it my third born child, you know, my business. So I have two children and that's my business because I wanted to grow at my own pace and have certain goals. And right now you just do not to expect. And it's hard for me. The hardest thing has been for me not to promise my employees. And it kind of like really like breaks my heart because it takes time to train them. It takes time to bring them where I want because I make everything on my on house. I make it from scratch. And just to bring them to where I need them to be and then not to promise them hours for next week, it's hard. I have some hours, but I can't promise them if it's going to be 10 hours this week or 15 hours next week. So it's like, that has been the hardest part for me. That was Chef Valdeta Giorgi of Nana's Barrette and Pizza in Waterford. Let's hear from one more chef before we take a break. My name is John Brennan. I'm the chef owner of Elm City Social in New Haven, Connecticut, as well as Olives and Oil in New Haven and Seymour, Connecticut. The impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on my work has been truly devastating. If I had to pick the hardest part of this entire pandemic and what we've had to go through, I'm not sure if I could. There's just so many different aspects that have been so challenging, including laying off our staff multiple times and financial struggles and just the added physical work that it takes to run a kitchen and a restaurant with a limited staff. It's you know really, really strenuous. I, I think things that we're gonna keep doing as we climb our our way out of this is probably continue to you know focus a little bit on takeout food and what we learned in, in that area. And uh, of course, we started selling our rubber ducky cocktails uh, in the package stores through our company, Small Batch Cocktail Company. And uh, I think we're going to continue to do that as well, you know, getting different, different avenues of, of the hospitality business. I'm worried that everyone's perception of us turning the light switch back on and everything just being the way it was, uh, you know, before the pandemic is not a reality um, that people have been really hurt financially and emotionally and any any way that this could hurt you it hurt you so uh it's going to take a while for all of us as a country you know to climb out of it including our industry right now we need monetary help i'm not going to lie any kind of boost that we could get to help us sustain help us survive would really help i think you always need to hold on to a little bit of hope being a small business owner, everything's built on hope and dreams. So I think we need to hope that over a period of time, things will get back to close to where they were. Uh, I just don't think it's going to be as quickly as everyone wants it to be. And we have a long road ahead of us. Uh, but I am hopeful that once again, our industry will thrive, you know, like it did a year ago. I don't know if anything really surprised me uh, with takeout. I mean, I feel like people are sort of back to like comfort food, which is a lot of what we do, but they want to stick with things that they know that they like in this time of uncertainty. People want to stick with things that are comfortable to them. Oh, I'm proud of everybody on my team. Anyone that was strong enough to stick with us and we do everything these days from sweep and mop the floor, scrub the dishes, 
prep the food, anything you could think of, you know, it's generally, it's pretty much two man teams and uh, it's a lot of grind. So I just appreciate them hanging in there with, with me. Shout out to the Skeleton Crews. We appreciate them too. That was Chef John Brennan of Elm City Social in New Haven and Olives and Oil in New Haven and Seymour. After the break, more chefs who are powering through these unprecedented times. In a weird way, it kind of, it helped us to really, really connect with the communities that we deliver to and expand as well. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Seasons. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Today, we're checking in with local chefs across the state about how they're doing at this point in the pandemic. We heard a short clip earlier from Chef Franco Camacho of Shell and Bones, Geronimo, and Camacho Garage, which opened in New Haven during the pandemic. Let's hear a little bit more about his experience this year. The impact that of COVID-19 pandemic on my work has been very dramatic all around. This pandemic, this virus doesn't care who you are, just goes and takes um, whatever's in front of them. And it's um, definitely uh, very um, sad to see and definitely um, puts you in a different set of mind and perspective about what life is all about. What I do for fun or what surprised me this year has been a menu that took off. You know, in every restaurant we had to create something more comfort and more soulful uh, so people get connected to some of the childhood memories or, or also to uh, create an interest in cooking them for themselves or doing things at home. But they can also um, enjoy uh, the food that we sell our restaurants. The takeout has been very, very, very good for all of us. I think it keeps us above the water. And one of the things I'm more proud of on my teams and people that I've come across in this industry is that we all in this together attitude and um, we're constantly learning about how to help and how to uh, take care of each other, which is the new norm, I, I would say. That was Franco Camacho, chef and culinary director of Shell and Bones, Geronimo and Camacho Garage in New Haven. One of the points made earlier in the show is that cities are hit especially hard. Our next guest Chef Chris Torla had to temporarily close Trumbull Kitchen in downtown Hartford. But that doesn't mean he's not incredibly proud of his staff. We're just proud of the commitment from the team and uh, the resilience of the team and the adaptability of the team that we've developed. And we've been, we'll be 20 years in May. And a lot of my team has been, I have one gentleman in particular who's been with me since the day we opened, but I, I've got a lot of tenure, you know, 10, 12, 14 years. And, they, you know, they're passionate about the business. They're passionate uh, probably more so about the restaurant and about Trumbull Kitchen and about the group. And that has uh, come through uh, tenfold with what they, they've been willing to do and, and help us to get through this. So. John Tambasio owns My Place and Tambasio's in Newtown. He's thinking about the staff he expects he'll need to give you a good dining experience in the near future. I'm not a worrier, so I'm not really worried. I'm anxious about some of the big changes labor-wise. When we think about mm, six months from now, a year from now, and the dining room starts picking back up again, who's going to be out on that floor giving that service? So we have to think about training people now, but how do you train people 
and not pay them with the tips that we used to be there. And I'm working on it. I'm training people for other jobs right now, trying to put together a crew that's ready to move as soon as we get busy. Because I believe people are going to come back. I hope that a lot of these restaurants that have spent their lives and given everything up to run their restaurants survive. There's so many places that are legacy places that are just closing so rapidly. And it's sad to me. Um, I think restaurants help each other. Look at Newtown. You know, Newtown was never a restaurant destination. And we've been in business in this town for 40 years. And now it is. And I think it brings more people into this town that never came here. So we're all busier because of it. For both our restaurants, it's not a sleeper item. It's just the comfort food of chicken parm. Why? I don't know. It is just, it was always very popular, but now it's ridiculously popular. <laughs> it's not fancy, but it's just the comfort foods are more going. Here at Tambasio's, we're selling more of the porco, sabuco, and things that are just comfortable. You know, a lot less of the, I don't know, the healthy stuff, you know, like grilled and, and pan seared and people are just, they're ordering the stuff that makes them feel good. Chefs in the catering and prepared food side of the business have seen highs and lows too. I personally do some small catering type events and it's been tough. Work has completely dried up. Lots of chefs like me who work independently doing small catering gigs and dinner parties, they lost almost all of their work. I feel bad for them. I personally lost a chunk of my income and had to figure out a plan B, whether it's doing online demos, uh, working with demo companies, things like that. We just hope that we can regain the trust of those small dinner parties and people are allowed to have gatherings, both small and large. I know, like myself, others and caterers and chefs are hoping for a big spring and summer of catering work. It's a hope and things would be better. I guess we'd have to wait and see. But the big thing is we want everyone on that side and on our side to feel comfortable to want to have those events again. If you're not comfortable, then it won't happen. So I think comfortability is really, really important. Chef Becca Tunai owns Nala's Kitchen in West Hartford. When one part of her business went down, another went up. So much that she needs more help in the kitchen. Nala's Kitchen is a healthy chef-prepared meal service. The impact of COVID has uh, transitioned us in many different ways. We, we lost a lot of gym partnerships when it first broke out, but we were able to increase our personal sales. Like Nobody wanted to go out shopping. Nobody wanted to go out in general. So with that being said, we were able to expand our delivery because we saw the demand that, you know, nobody wanted to go out because they didn't want to risk their health or whatever it was. So I think it was good and bad because we lost those gym partnerships. But as soon as the phase changed where gyms were able to come back, we just completely increased. So, you know, in a weird way, it kind of, it helped us to really, really connect with the communities that we deliver to and expand as well. Because now we're we're going to be delivering throughout the whole state. The hardest part since the pandemic started has been really pulling back and thinking about like what is really truly our best uh, business model and also making sure I have to create like a diverse menu. So as a chef, it's really, really hard. Like I have to make sure that I'm a, making stuff that diabetic people can have. Like my menus are already healthy, but now I have to kind of go out of my box even more. And it's, it's really hard. And also finding staff, like it's just myself and two other people. I know people are kind of weary on like coming into the kitchen and working, but I'm like, it's just the three of us. And we're just 
you know, crushing that, making all these meals and I need help. <laughs> so it's really hard to get to kitchen staff right now. Oddly enough, I never go to church, but I went to church yesterday and uh, he was like, it takes a church to build a business. And I was like, it kind of does. Cause you know, I have like all these people around me, surrounding me and they're all helping me. I'm like, I want to build that church that's around me and to support and you know, Cause we all have that common goal. Like, honestly, this past year has been like a real spiritual awakening for me. So I know I'm going to be looked at as like that weird spiritual chef, but I'm like, it's all like coming together. And um, now I'm like, I'm a believer. (laughs) Stella Brown, chef and owner of Stella's African Eatery in Hartford, has been luckier than most. Though if you've ever met Stella, you know she'd use the word blessed. Her eatery is a popular takeout lunch spot. And like Becca, her prepared food service has taken off, and she anticipates needing to hire someone part-time. Here's Stella. The impact on my work has been minimal since we're mainly takeout pre-COVID and only open for lunch. The hardest parts were adjusting to the additional sanitation guidelines and making sure everyone was being safe and wearing their masks, but also not being able to interact with my guests as I previously did. I would, some of the regulars who have been around for four or five years, I've, I would give them a hug or fist bump or something. And now we cut all of that out so that everybody remains safe. What I've learned is that many people either don't know how to cook or don't have the time to prepare meals. So they need small local eateries and restaurants in order to feed themselves. I'm not generally a warrior, but I'm concerned about getting this virus under control and getting folks back to work in every industry, uh, regardless of where they work. Uh, The assistance that would be helpful right now is financial, as I will need to hire someone part-time to continue with the sanitation effort once business goes back to normal, if that's even a thing. Also, to stay afloat. Every day isn't certain, so financial assistance would be great. To my surprise, my meal prep service did take off. A lot of people who work from home still needed lunch or People who lived alone still needed dinner, so I got a lot of a lot of requests for my meal prep service. That was Chef Stella Brown, owner of Stella's African Eatery in Hartford. You also heard from Chef Becca Twanai, owner of Nala's Kitchen, based in West Hartford, and John Tambasio, one of the owners of My Place and Tambasio's in Newtown. Thank you to all the chefs and restaurant owners who share their experiences with us. You'll find links to their restaurants on ctpublic.org slash seasoned. And thanks to Scott Dolch and Commissioner David Lehman as well. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Seasoned is produced by Robin Doyanakin and Katie Talarski. Support those local restaurants, everybody. Thanks for listening. See you next week.